Welcome to the Q Podcast Show, where we discuss ideas, innovations, and thought leadership in frontier areas such as AI, machine learning, and finance. As the discussion on AI ethics and adoption of responsible AI grows, there is confusion on what does responsible AI actually mean for an enterprise. Is it regulation? Is it having moral stance? Is it a policy? Is it to prevent bad actors? As we delegate more and more decision-making to machines, we need to not only bring policy, but also have pragmatic ways to adopt these practices within the enterprise. In today's session, we are joined by Dr. Valeria Sadovic from PwC, Dr. Reed Blackman from Virtue Consultants, and Jun Wu from Forbes on a discussion on what it means to adopt responsible AI in the enterprise. On to Sri Krishnamurthy, the host of the show. Welcome, everyone. This is the Quant University Fall School guest lecture series. And today we are fortunate to have uh, Dr. Valeria Sedovic from PwC, Jun Wu from Forks, and Dr. Reed Blackman from Virtue Consultants. And the theme of today is Responsible AI in Action. And in today's discussion, we're going to talk about the various aspects of what responsible AI and ethics means when we start adopting AI within the enterprise. My name is Sri Krishnamurthy, and in the last 16 to 18 weeks, we have been hosting these Wednesday lunch and learn sessions, lunch and learn for the folks who live in the East Coast at least, uh, but we have had people from different parts of the world attend these sessions, and I just saw someone from Kuala Lumpur say hi in the chat window. And uh, I'm gonna give you a brief introduction to what we do at Quant University, and we will get the discussion flowing. So let me share my screen. I hope you can all see my screen. Uh, we are based out of Boston and uh, we started out in 2013, focusing on the intersection of data science, machine learning and quantitative finance. Uh, we have done a lot of training programs and before COVID-19, we were mostly going to various firms and ramping up their data science and machine learning workforces. And also uh, we run a model risk advisory and as third party validator to validate various kinds of models. And the Q Academy, which is our online learning platform is powered by Q Sandbox, which is basically a platform which runs in the cloud to build out machine learning applications. And uh, we have been doing these fall school lectures and every quarter we pick a theme and then the theme of this uh, quarter is machine learning, scalable AI, model governance and FinTech post COVID-19. So we've been looking at various themes as we start operationalizing AI with the enterprise. What are the various challenges? What are the various opportunities and pitfalls and how we can potentially bring in the practitioner based approach to bring out some of the key challenges which are out there in the enterprise and then make it available as uh, through this forum for discussion so that we can educate ourselves, but also look for opportunities wherein we can curate and build better solutions. Now, uh, in the fall, uh, after the fall school comes the winter school. So please check out qwinterschool.splashthub.com. We have a, a number of different courses we are putting together and we are partnered with Premier to offer some of them in an online mode. And we are also putting together some new courses Contextual in today's day and age with COVID-19, we are putting together some courses on uh, explainable AI and also in the aspect of stress testing, especially if you're building quant models and you're looking at the world and seeing that some of the models don't work. 
without further ado, let's uh, talk about what we're going to be discussing today. Um, the theme of today is responsible AI in action. And a few weeks back, when uh, we started thinking about the various aspects, and the reason why I was particularly interested in this topic is uh, I'm a big follower of LinkedIn. I keep going into LinkedIn more than I should. And uh, every day I see at least five to 10 different posts on different frameworks, different white papers, different approaches, different tools, talking about bias, ethics, responsible AI, and various themes coming from different perspectives. And one of the key pieces which I am kind of, when I'm curating all this information is that many of these themes are kind of one-sided because you know, people come from different perspectives. But as practitioners, we have to understand that all these solutions which we have been building and the, the recommendations, the papers which are coming out in various frameworks are things which needs to be practical and pragmatic and pragmatic enough that it could be adopted within the enterprise. And that's kind of the topic of discussion today. And uh, let's start uh, with the discussion and uh, I'll take a minute and uh, let our eminent speakers introduce themselves. Valeria, you wanna go first? Sure, I can go first. Um, first of all, um, it is my pleasure to be here today and to share my academic and practical perspective on such an important topic such as um, AI ethics. And I think AI ethics now touch base everyone, everyone in the world as an organization, individual, institutions, and corporations. So as for myself, I'm Valeria Sadovic. I work for PwC Labs. At PwC Labs, we design, deploy, and implement innovative technology for corporate clients. Um, we utilize Industry 4.4, machine learning, AI, mass customization, intelligent automation solutions. I have been in technology consulting for many years. I have been working across uh, New Zealand and Australia, Southeast Asia, Europe, and now I'm based in the US. In addition to my consulting career, I'm also quite a big advocate of academia. I have a PhD from University of Auckland, New Zealand, and my research team is actually focusing on responsible AI, AI and ethics, how emerging technology is impacting human decision-making, and what is our rate of adoption and accelerating of AI in our everyday usage. And with overall agenda, I'm kind of trying to look into how AI can actually have a social impact on our lives. And that's it for me. Thank you, Valerie, and welcome. June, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Um, hi, I'm June. I'm a contributor to Forbes. Um, I used to be a technologist in the financial industry. I worked for various banks in Asia and uh, in New York as well um, as a technologist. Um, so uh, from the practical side, I'm familiar with uh, some of the operational aspects of responsible AI. And uh, thank you, Sri, for inviting me today. Um, right now, um, as a contributor to Forbes, I talk to business leaders um, in both the startup community as well as in the uh, FinTech uh, and financial com uh, community about um, some of the topics related to AI implementations. One of the big topics that I'm following right now is enterprise AI. And so it's really a pleasure to be um, taking part in this uh, discussion today with, um, um, with the both of you and Shri, uh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much, John, and welcome. Uh, Reed. 
So I'm Reed Blackman. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Virtue. So Virtue is an ethical risk consultancy where we focus on helping senior leaders operationalize AI ethics programs. And so I've been doing this for about two and a half years. That's when I started the company. Prior to that, I was a philosophy professor. So teaching, researching, publishing on, on ethics for about 15 years now. Um, that's me. Thank you so much and welcome. And uh, so we can kind of, you know, roll up our sleeves and get into a discussion more now. So we don't have to kind of you know, keep this discussion formal. So feel free to chime in and people who are listening in, feel free to use the chat window and also the Q&A window so that you can pose any questions you have. So first of all, let's kind of get to the most important question of the day. What is AI ethics? Anybody can start and then we can kind of go around the room. <clears throat> what is AI? What is AI ethics? Oh, AI ethics. How do you define AI ethics? I mean, like in a way it's not that complicated. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, you're not, you don't need uh, to articulate a set of necessary and sufficient conditions for something as counting as an AI ethical issue. Um, you can't do that for most things anyway. You can't do that for what constitutes a chair. Uh, very hard to come up with necessary and sufficient conditions for what constitutes a chair. Look, there are all these ethical issues. You don't want to discriminate against people um, unjustifiably. You don't want to violate people's privacy. Uh, you don't want to harm people in a way um, it's such that you don't know why you're doing it. <laughs> um, you don't want to crash cars into people. You don't want blah, blah, blah. Right? There's lots of um, sort of things that we, we already understand as being ethical issues generally. And... AI ethics is just a matter of, okay, we've got this new kind of tool. It works in various ways. Some of the ways in, uh, that, it, that it works and some of the use cases make it the case that various ethical issues arise. AI ethics is then, um, it, depends on the, it depends on where you're coming from, whether you say you're in business or you're say a regulator, but if you're in business, then what you're probably thinking about is um, how, do we, how do we deploy, develop and deploy AI in a way that uh, is ethically and thus reputationally safe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Valeria, do you have a, a similar viewpoint or do you wanna add something to that? Um, I, I do wanna clarify something like, we talk so much about technology making mistakes in AI, um, you know, making a bias, errors and things like that. What I do wanna, that people understand that technology is an extension of our human beings, right? Mm -hmm. So we are biased. What technology actually done at that current moment, they uncovered our own biases and our own, our own faults. And we as a human beings now blaming technology for being biased, rather we don't understand that it's actually us, still us making those faults and making those problems. So I do want to Sometimes we talk about the technology so much, but I think we want to, we need to step back and actually look at us as a human. Absolutely. So that's, that's a great point. You know, we kind of think about technology first, but we had to think about humans first. Yeah, humans. The, uh, and I think it's, we still are the one who making decision and we are the one who design and deploy those technology, whether it is for personal use or organizational use. So the root cause probably have to go to the human being back. Absolutely. And Jun, you've been talking to a lot of uh, you know, business professionals, technologists in your interviews, and you've also been doing research in this area for uh, a lot of, uh, I've seen many articles on this theme uh, from you. Uh, how do you define AI ethics and responsible AI in general? Okay. 
Um, I mostly agree with Reed and his interpretation of ethical AI. However, for me, I feel like, um, like you, I'm inundated with research and papers um, related to responsible AI. And I think there needs to be a distinction between responsible AI and ethical AI. Mm -hmm. And that distinction is sort of very nuanced, I think. And perhaps it's very personal to each practitioner as well. And um, so um, I actually want to ask this question and what uh, that distinction means to read and uh, Valeria as well. Uh, but from, from my point of view, I feel that responsible AI is um, sort of thinking about um, ethical AI in everyday terms. Um, where uh, you're on the ground when you're operationalizing AI, uh, what are some of the practical questions that you're asking uh, to make sure your AI implementation follows set of frameworks uh, that your firm might be adopting? And, and so, so uh, responsible AI to me is perhaps a subset of ethical AI. And um, uh, that is a little bit of a nuance and I think Maybe uh, when I talk to uh, practitioners, um, it, it feels to me like a lot of practitioners are thinking about responsible AI within the bigger framework of ethical AI and then uh, taking steps incrementally forward um, uh, every, every day in their projects um, to, to think about uh, questions related to responsible AI in order to move toward um, uh, sort of the ultimate goal of ethical AI. And that to me is a very interesting nuance between the two terms. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, one of the themes which uh, I've been looking at is whenever I read a paper and I'm completely with you, because everybody's definition is different of what uh -huh. ethical AI actually means. Um, so if you just kind of step back a little bit and talk about what's driving this in in uh, in certain ways, this AI ethics revolution. Now, why are so many people so passionately talking about that? Why are they writing so many papers? Why are so many tools and frameworks coming out? Uh, is you know this is not something wherein you can monetize and basically say, well, this is a business driver and we are all going to be chiming in, right? But how how do you see AI ethics so much in the forefront now and? Everybody's talking about it. Like, what's the key driver and or drivers, you know, making all this happen? Um, I'll probably go back to my point, right, when I said that technology actually make it made it transparent for us to see that all of the biases, human biases, and we realize how we are biased towards human race towards age, um, education, zip code, how all of our decisions are being manipulated, whether they've been manipulated by the big organization, uh, organization tech giants, social media. There is lots of noise on how we elect the presidential campaign, mm -hmm. um, what are we buying and so on. So I think that's why it's become like, it's become a buzz, right? It's become a buzz that becomes so transparent and uncovered. So people start focusing on this. And that's why, organizations start also thinking about it that hey how do we make it explainable to people that they do understand how ai technology make decisions and i think um within an organization and i can see that everyone is concerned but the problem is they don't know how to go about it what to do and that's why we're here talking about the actions what are actually the actions they need to take we talk about explainable ai right but however there we also quite 
concern about opening up about our weaknesses, right? Weaknesses in our system sets, weaknesses in our historical data. If we talk about the hiring system, right? We all know that most of the organizations got the historical data that the white man takes the leadership position, right? And the women are just not there. So who do we blame for this? Do we blame the history? Do we blame the man or do we blame the technology? So um, I personally think that the definitions between responsible AI and ethics AI, um, it's a probably a question of preference. However, I can see that doesn't matter what the term we're going to use, um, it's an extension to our existing operation of GIC framework, governance, risk management, and compliance, right? It's, I think it should be linked to the existing government structure and government process that we have in process with additional layer on specifically biases AI technology. That's right. Reid, do you have a viewpoint? You know, uh, I know you've been consulting for various companies. <clears throat> uh, what are the key drivers? Why do they call you in the first place? You know, why are there concerns they're having internally or they're trying to educate themselves or combination? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, look, different people have different motives, right? And then there's also what they say their motives are and then what there's what their motives are, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So um, look, some people really care. Right, they really take the ethics of it seriously. They care about fairness and anti-discrimination, yada, yada, yada. And so those people are motivated for those reasons. Um, some people say that those are their reasons, but really it's uh, risk mitigation, right? Mm -hmm. It's not so much that they're passionate about the cause, they're just really passionate about not screwing things up <laughs> and getting in trouble for it. Um, so, and that's, a, by the way, that's a fine motive as far as I'm concerned. I mean, when we're talking about ethics, AI, ethical AI and practice in business, I don't think it's necessary that people be moved for the right reasons as it were. Doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is better than doing, is better than what's, do, what's going on right now, which is doing the wrong thing, period, right? So to, to my mind, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is better than just doing the wrong thing. Um, so some people are motivated by, by straightforward risk mitigation as opposed to a passion for justice or something like that. Um, some people are driven by ego. Right, they mm -hmm. want to be the leader in ethical AI. It's all the buzz now, and so wouldn't it be awesome if I were the person who was leading that charge in our company, uh, in the industry, etc. So sometimes it's ego. So when it comes to why people in business are actually doing it, there is not, and there's not a single reason. There's not a single motive. Um, not only is there not a single motive among individuals, there's not, there's not even a single motive within a given individual. A lot of you know these different motives can be present inside of an individual. Um, and they could be of varying strengths, uh, varying by person. Um, and the same thing goes with the question about why is it such a hot topic now? Why is everybody talking about it? Well, there's lots of stuff. Some are you know, swept up justifiably or unjustifiably so in certain social movements, say Black Lives Matter, um, the Me Too movement, and they want to find expression. Uh, they want to express that commitment in the work that they happen to be in. Um, so if you're passionate about, say, the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement, and you happen to be in tech, well, you know, here's a nice place to start talking about it in AI ethics, as opposed to start, you know, as opposed to whether if you're somebody in HR, right? So um, there's a way in which what's going on in society gets gets brought in to the tech world simply because people who are in society and have tech jobs want to express their passions um, in the particular roles that they're in. That's very interesting. Um, and then the very last thing I'll say with in regards to June's question about responsible versus ethical AI, uh -huh. look, in some ways, there's just, this is just a semantic issue, right? How do we want to stipulate use of these terms? Um, I think that one way that it goes on is that people use the term responsible AI because they don't know what the heck AI ethics is. 
but if you talk about responsibility, that sort of makes more sense to you than ethics, which strikes people as particularly nebulous. Um, other times people use responsible AI as a grab bag where um, um, in contrast to what June pointed out, they see AI ethics as a subset of responsible AI mm -hmm. because they throw into responsible AI things like robustness and accuracy and uh, cyber attack ready and so on and so forth. So there's a way in which responsible AI becomes a grab bag for um, doing AI in a way that's not messed up for whatever category of messed up you like. <laughs> Absolutely. And Jun, uh, in your discussions with uh, various people in your research, do you, do you kind of see that you know, the, the, the technologists who are working towards solutions are seeing it as a business opportunity or is it they're kind of building out the risk mitigation solutions or seeing this as an opportunity for various companies to tap into uh, to address some of the concerns which, uh, you know, which Reed and Valeria talked about. Yeah, so this is really interesting because what I have seen is two kinds of companies. I think the kind of companies who are camels, you know, mm -hmm. uh, who are really into building things for the long haul, right? Those are the companies that in my initial discussions with companies, responsible AI naturally comes out of the discussions and it doesn't come out uh, from uh, the profit point of view or it comes out from the value point of view. Mm -hmm. When they're talking about the value of their company, the uh, culture that they have established in their company, responsible AI is sort of comes out of that discussion. And I feel like um, the culture of the company perhaps sets the tone for responsible AI. And uh, that um, uh, to me sort of speak, speaks to this camel kind of company. Another type of companies that um, I, I talk to are on the cutting edge of emerging technology. You know, they're in experimentation stage. They're trying to um, sort of operationalize um, a, a type of technology that just came right out of research, very fresh, early stage startups, you know, and, and they are not in the mind frame of thinking about uh, uh, responsible AI yet. However, they know that they have to at some point, you know, um, so, so it is a very, they are in the process of getting their company capitalized, right, uh, fully, so that responsible AI perhaps com comes out of the discussion with venture capitalists and funding, you know, um, and 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 all of that, uh, those discussions. But they're not in a place where they are thinking about what would responsible AI mean operationally in their business plan. Um, and how do they build it into their technology yet? So there are um, two kinds of companies. And I think in the financial industry, perhaps you see the contrast between FinTech early stage startup versus uh, corporate um, uh, the, uh, large investment banks. You know, uh, uh, the contrast between how they are handling responsible AI. Um, um, yeah, perhaps that's a really good uh, the, uh, comparison. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things which we haven't talked about is, um, you know, the uh, the place we are in terms of the technology cycle, right? So we are seeing a tectonic shift in the way in which AI is influencing our lives, which we hadn't seen like, you know, 10 years ago, you know, we didn't have those access, you know, we would see the cool videos and we would say, oh, this is pretty cool. Uh, it's uh, Boston Dynamics is building all these amazing robots. But we are seeing these technologies kind of 
integrate into our lives. You know, things like facial recognition, use of different kinds of uh, methodologies in which the way we, you know, take decisions like, you know, applying for a credit card. Who's making a decision? We don't know if it's an algorithm or a human sitting and making a decision. Um, or things like autonomous driving, wherein we are going to be delegating the responsibility of driving to machines. And now we have to coexist with another device which is making decisions versus we making decisions as humans. So in some aspects, there's this paranoia slash fear, like, you know, oh, we are adopting something new. And one of the things we want to talk about is like, how does this fit in in the context of responsible AI, ethical AI? On the other hand, we also have to talk about this notion of accountability, right? So who's going to be responsible, no pun intended, to implement responsible AI within the enterprise, right? Because we have the ethics board, you know, I come from a financial services perspective and financial industry has been pioneering this whole notion of risk management and modern risk management in particular for many, many decades. And we have a specific department. People are actually hired to, you know, to put the gating process to make sure that the models which are going out into production have gone through the vetting process. And also there is uh, gating in terms of fiduciary responsibilities. So there are at least some structure. And obviously there's regulatory aspects wherein there is regulations on what you cannot, uh, can and cannot do. Uh, but in the way AI is coming and the way innovations are coming, it's a little bit of a wild west. How do you see the organization structure and how do you see who's going to be responsible um, in making sure that some of these principles we are talking about are actually enforceable and pragmatic within the enterprise? And I just want to live with one quote with Andrew Ng in one of his newsletter I mentioned that had uh, there was a white paper put out by a, a large organization about AI ethics. And he apparently talked to one of the engineers who was actually implementing some of this. And the quote was, uh, well, it's nice that they're thinking about it, but from my day-to-day -day perspective on the way I do my job, and it's not gonna change much. I'm gonna be doing what I'm gonna be doing, right? So how do we make sure that we have the right kinds of accountability structure within the enterprise? Uh, Reed, you wanna go first, Stan? Yeah, sure. Um, so look, one of the issues that we're seeing for why AI ethics is having difficulty getting uptake, um, aside from the fact that um, people don't understand what the term ethics means and they don't know how to think about it and they don't know how to um, operationalize it, is that there is no cross-organizational standard about who ought to own this problem. Mm -hmm. There's just none. It's, there's, there's some... Um, there's, there's something forming, um, some, some, some convergence of views about this, but it's, there's no standard. And when we know that when there's no cross-organizational standard, that means you need someone in a leadership position to stand up and say, I'll own it, um, which also means they need to spend budget on it. Um, but uh, if you don't have any cross-organizational standard then, and people don't want to spend their budget on stuff, then they're not going to spend it on this, right? So one thing is um, you, we, there needs to be um, some kind of cross-organizational standard about who owns it. Now, as for who that ought to be, it's first of all, it's got to be in the C-suite, someone in the C-suite. Um, these uh, uh, sort of robust AI ethical risk program is not going to be 
maintained and sustained and scaled if it doesn't have buy-in from senior leadership, um, because it's going to have to be woven into every facet of the organization, right? It's going to be in product development. It's going to be in marketing. It's going to be in operations. It's going to be everywhere. Um, and it also, people have to receive the right kinds of financial incentives and the absence of financial disincentives. Um, so the engineer that you were talking about uh, in his or her day-to-day, -day, um, if they're not evaluated on the extent to which they weave in the requirements of the ethical risk program um, into their operations, then they're not, then that person's right, they're not going to do it. And so you need a push from senior leadership to make that happen. Now, then the question is who within the C-suite is the appropriate person? And it looks like the most appropriate person, um, and I'm seeing the most adoption, the most leadership around these roles is something like, like a chief data officer or a chief analytics officer or a chief data and analytics officer, um, some, somebody with a title like that. Um, it also incidentally needs um, board oversight. The board needs to be aware of these massive uh, reputational risks. So. It should be someone in the C-suite. It looks like it should be chief, something like a chief data officer, chief analytics officer, because at the end of the day, they're overseeing all the engineers who are making these products um, and they need the support of not only the rest of the C-suite, but the board as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jun, do you have a point of view? <clears throat> yeah, I actually, um, I agree that someone in the C-suite uh, should probably own this. However, I do think of ethics, um, ethical AI as a cross-functional uh, sort of, um, uh, I think about ethical AI in terms of enterprise AI initiatives, you know, so um, uh, because I feel like so many uh, corporations are moving to enterprise level AI now, uh, where um, uh, models, data, and all of that are um, enterprise grade or enterprise assets, so to speak. Right. And, and, and so because of that, the responsibility sort of is almost exponentially higher to make sure everything works properly. Right. And, 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 and so because there's no standards, you know, like um, Reed said, that um, uh, it gets very, very difficult to actually um, sort of manage, uh, have accountability in uh, managing all of these enterprise assets, you know? So, so how are the business units are going to be divided in that case? So mm -hmm. I, I feel like what you need is not necessarily a reorg or anything. What you need is perhaps a committee where um, a cross-functional committee where heads, uh, uh, chief data officers, um, chief model risk officer, chief, um, um, the, everyone uh, sort of gets together in a committee in which they collectively own this ethical uh, AI issue. Um, and uh, especially um, with compliance, you know, being such a huge um, um, part of all of this equation, uh, sort of law and uh, compliance, that department, you know, should always uh, also have a voice in this uh, particular committee, you know, where it would be headed up by someone in the C-suite. I think that, uh, practically speaking, might work better. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. So, um, yeah, I'm just putting this idea out there. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Valeria, when you are brought in as a consultant, how do you advise, like, you know, because everybody is talking at different levels, you know, and one of the challenges, you know, is I, I also consult with various companies and one of the challenges I had was um, from an engineer's perspective, say, I already have so many things to do. I can't think about things which I'm not told I should be doing. So tell me what I should be doing and I'll factor that in. But 
you know, when I come when it comes down to like the C-suite, they are talking in generality and principle. So how do we kind of you know bring in this accountability, what do you call waterfall through the enterprise? Yeah, and I have two points to it, but the first one to answer your question, right? Um, one thing I do want to bring, like we do have designers and developers and the users, right? And they are subject matter experts. It's good to have the board. It's good to have a process in place, but we also need to focus on executors, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing that comes into place, you said to me, the engineers, they don't have time on an et cetera. Well, actually, have they been educated enough on the ethical principles? Do they understand the design ethical principles in case of how the technology should be responsible, how it should be accessible, who is it designed for, what are the use cases, what are the fairness, what is the purpose of the design technology, right? So I think those questions is actually are the one that we need to put forward in front of our developers and designers, first of all, before we can further roll out any of the tools. Because they're the one who's got the knowledge, right? They're mm -hmm. the one who's gonna distribute it. And, uh, Subjects like, for example, a chief data officer might not necessarily even know the purpose of the technology that is used within the organization. And that's actually quite scary. So until we educate as our users in our initial point of view with technology, we cannot progress further, right? Until we will plug it in in the mind of our developers that, that you need to look at those KPIs, right, in the any tool, until you actually can further roll it out to the audience. I think that's the first aspect for me. And I always kind of try to bring it up as long as we need to keep the conversation free, right? We need to keep it going. We need to question it. How responsive is the technology we design? Who is it designed for? Who is going to use it? What are the use cases? Have we thought about the use cases that might harm, potentially harm our users? Or we're only thinking about the best possible outcome. That's the first question. And then after that, I do want to ask the question in terms of to our audience as well as them, uh, other two participants. Is there's all of this ethical design and the rules? Are we making it compulsory, or we want a genuine governance on the responsibility of AI? How do we track it now? Is it become the same as? the quality, like, you know, how we've got the um, quality compliance rules, or is it ethics and the ethical is something personal and it's up to you how you're going to navigate it. So I think that's also becoming quite an interesting question with organizations and the people. Absolutely. Now, just a little, you know, give a, uh, just a little bit of a switch in terms of topics. And I want to kind of focus more on the AI part. Uh, of the ethics, AI ethics. Right? So uh, AI has significantly changed in the last 10 years. The complexity of algorithms, the meta-learning, automatic machine learning, the use of GPUs, the, you know, the different kinds of models which are out there. Frankly, you know, I though I teach at the graduate school machine learning and related topics, just to keep track of what's happening and to really understand how these algorithms work, it's becoming a challenge. And when I talk to companies, that's one of the challenges they talk about saying, well, we don't have that level of smart people to actually understand and build out. And many a times we just go for automatic machine learning solutions or APIs, and we don't know how the technologies are built and we don't have the choice to go in and hire someone like 
who's with a PhD and can actually code up these algorithms from scratch. And secondly, it's not even feasible and practical to build out that kind of technology workforce within every organization wanting to use AI and machine learning, right? So the challenge becomes how much of it should be something we assume that someone has done the due diligence and we adopt it versus we building the structures to do the due diligence ourselves. And the secondary aspect to this whole dilemma is most of these models in AI and machine learning today are data driven. And uh, unfortunately, when we look at historical data, we don't have clean, you know, ethically followed principles, you know, in our data sets. The way decisions have happened in the past, you know, these are biased data sets. Now, the decisions were done by humans. Humans have inherent biases, and those are reflected in the decisions which were made. And now we are thinking about building machinery to operationalize these decisions. And these machines and algorithms are learning from past behaviors. And then explicit intervention needs to happen to make sure that you are not kind of baking in these inherent biases which were observed into newer algorithms. And we standardize these biases which we have observed in the past, right? Now, what are we aiming at in here? You know, are we aiming at creating ideal machines which are going to mimic the state of the world we all aspire to be in, which may not be something we can sell, to be very honest, because enterprises will think that, well, I won't be able to like make decisions. It's going to hit my bottom line, so I won't be able to adopt it, versus achieving human-level um, intelligence, wherein we say, well, humans make these kinds of decisions. Humans make mistakes, and machines are doing things on par with how humans would make mistakes. So if we assume that that's the level of uh, you know, performance we can get, it's acceptable. So where do we stand in this debate? Like, you know, should we aim for the ideal saying, you know, all or none, it has to be at this particular standard, otherwise we won't be able to adopt it, versus let's aim at what humans potentially can do, which is reflected in what we have seen in the past, and try and bake those into the chains. June, you want to start? Well, um, that's a really big question. And that's a question that I grapple with every day as I talk to business leaders and technologists. And I think um, many people are thinking about um, this. Um, however, I, I feel like um, responsible AI and ethical AI, the central theme here is um, not just um, taking accountability, but also rigor, right? And rigor is something that we're all very, very familiar in investment banking, right? And um, it all started with a simple model someone built, right? A long, long time ago that was statistical, that was, you know, um, uh, and, and, and there were tests that were run. Pro, uh, and, and it all started with this very, very small thing, you know, and that wasn't very well tested. And then later on, people sort of added on to it, the components were added on and complicated, more and more complex models were created, right? And therefore more and more um, compl complex tests and all of that were devised and the pipelines were built and all of that. So, so what I think is um, rigor, right? Um, is, is a mindset, right? That, um, that the um, 
everyone who works in the financial industry is very, very familiar with. And now is probably the optimal time when you're talking about enterprise-wide AI and um, upgrading AI algorithms and um, uh, thinking about the complexity of, of testing versus the complexity of implementation and the complexity of algorithms, all of these trade-offs, right? Explainability and um, all of these ethical um, issues when you, when you um, sort of take this rigorous uh, mindset into um, working with these, these problems, you know, I think any incremental um, difference that you can make uh, in raising difficult issues and difficult questions uh, to highlight trade-offs, right? Highlight accountability where they need to be made um, is um, probably the most important. So rather than looking at ideals, standards, you know, um, metrics, this and that, you know, um, you in at the individual uh, level, you know, if you're a technologist, a risk manager, um, a, a, a business unit manager, if you just take this rigorous mindset into every single decision that you're making uh, throughout this enterprise-wide project, you know, and raising issues as you see them uh, when, when you're coming across difficult ethical issues and ethical dilemmas and all of that, I think you uh, eventually you get to a place that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it could be better than today. Um, that, yeah, uh, that, that's what I thought, because I, I, I really think uh, thinking about the ideal uh, standard and uh, sort of a, a, the optimal solution might actually make people uh, sort of be a little bit more afraid to take that first step or even Absolutely. incremental steps. That's Absolutely. So Reid, um, I loved your article, uh, Practical Guide to Building Ethical AI and HBR. Uh, you seem to have the recipe. What do you think? should be the way in which we should address this problem or dilemma. Sorry, so say that last thing again. What do you think on how do we address this dilemma of building human level intelligence versus right. um, you know, leveraging historical biases? And yeah, I mean, so look, the, at least in business, the name of the, the, name of the game is bias mitigate, is, is risk mitigation, right? That's what this is about. Um, people will talk about, when people talk, some people talk about ethics or AI ethics, they're talking about AI for good, you know, what's all the good things that we can do in the world. And that's really important, um, but it's not what most businesses have in mind when they're building their products, uh, right? Uh, so there's the AI for good people, and then there's the AI for not bad people. And I am squarely in the AI for not bad camp, <laughs> um, which is to say, let's use AI for ethically good and ethically neutral ends. Um, and in our pursuit of those ethically good or ethically neutral ends or goals, let's not ethically screw up, right? So. Um, that's one thing to say. Um, it's also the only kind of thing that's generally going to motivate people to spend budget. Um, you know, if it's a, it's a for-profit company that's gonna motivate them to spend budget on it is that it's risk mitigation, unless they have some you know, CSR function or something along those lines. Um, the other thing, another thing to say is that we are not very good about articulating the ideal, um, what constitutes the ideal. There's a long history of, of ethicists and political theorists contemplating or arguing about the ideals. Um, and it's not, it's very difficult to discern what exactly the ideal situation is. Um, on the other hand, we're much better at figuring out what's really bad for us. Um, so that's really where the focus ought to be, I think. Where, what are the ways we can really 
do harm, wrong people, breach obligations, breach people's rights, and how do we ensure to the best of our ability not, that we're not doing those things? That's, that's the first and foremost goal. Actually, that's the goal even if you do have noble ends. Um, first, do no harm. Absolutely. Valeria, what do you think? So coming back to your original question, right? Uh, should we hold machines to higher standards or should we aim for a better human intelligence at one extent? Um, I think um, I still will go back to probably my first point. It's up to us, it's humans, right? We need to, again, educate ourselves. We need to, we as a humans, we evolve, right? So we need to accept the technology with it biases and you also need to know what are the biases is in order to make a better decision as for organizations and people so i would probably go in the answer that we need to evaluate ourselves and we need to grow our own intelligence in order to progress further and again not to do not to do harm and understand what harm means to each of us to different groups to different race and to different age as well so and also look at the design principles of the technology again and understand the use cases. Absolutely. Can, can I say uh, one, can I just say one more yes, thing on this? Three. Yes. So look, there's a way of thinking about ethics and doing ethics, engaging in ethical inquiry that ethicists are very familiar with. And you'll ask questions like the following. What constitutes human flourishing? What constitutes a just society? These are really big questions. Been talking about it for literally thousands of years. They're very complex. Um, we're not gonna get anything like that by engineers, right? We're not gonna get flourishing by design. That's not happening. So don't, don't, don't talk about, uh, you know, I don't see the point in talking about things like what constitutes human flow. I mean, in a business context, mm -hmm. um, we are talking about, all right, look, we need the data collectors to have role specific responsibilities for either realizing our values or avoiding, helping us to avoid our ethical and reputational nightmares. The engineers, um, the product developers, they need role specific responsibilities. The product managers, to Valeria's earlier point, they need sufficient education such that they can smell ethical smoke and they can pull in a lever to June's point so that it goes to the proper deliberative body so that they can, they can determine what the proper risk mitigation strategies ought to be, whether it means halting production altogether or canceling it, whether it means altering the product in this, that, this or that way, whether it means not distributing it uh, in this place, but yes to distribute it in, that, in this other place. Um, so there's, you know, so, so this is my way of saying, you're not gonna get flourishing or just society by design. And you wouldn't want that anyway, because then all the onus will be on engineers and product managers to determine what constitutes human flourishing and a just society. But that's insane, right? <laughs> Whatever, right. They're, 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 they're very smart people, and they're, but they're, they don't have the training for it. And even if they did have the training for it, you also don't want a bunch of philosopher kings, right? So we don't want flourishing by design. We want you know, not human misery by design. That would be, that, that's, that would be enough. That would be, that would be a huge leap from where we are now. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, I, I think you touched upon uh, when you were uh, talking about this whole notion of risk mitigation, and I'm kind of from looking at it from an engineer. I'm trained as an engineer. I mostly work with software tools, and I kind of you know work with people who are data scientists and machine learning professionals. And many a times when we think about how do we optimize things, right? So you put together an utility function, and then you think about optimization subject to constraints, 
right? So that's kind of the engineering way of thinking about those things. And risk mitigation always comes into play at that particular point. And now, the way I'm seeing some of these tools being positioned, uh, especially whenever you talk about AI yeah, ethics, explainability comes in, interpretability, explainability you know, uh, comes in. And the question is, well, if we know how things work, we'll be in a better position to accept things. Right? Uh, one of the dilemma right now is black boxes are not transparent enough. And so we are not really sure whether they are making the right decisions. And, Many times, it's not just the concern that they are making bias decisions, it's the concern that I don't know how things are happening. And I'm assuming that you know, the, the reason why it's hidden is because they don't want us to know what's happening. Right? And that's where all these explainability tools are coming in, both the black box explainability, white box explainability, uh, contrafactual, blah, blah, blah. There are so many frameworks. In fact, uh, you know, the, the whole, reason why we are talking about explainability with so much uh, you know, vigor and all the investments going into these tooling is because we've kind of jumped the gun a bit and operationalized AI. And now we are thinking like, well, people are asking questions now. You know, if a credit decision is made and now we are asked why that particular decision was made, now we have to go and explain why that decision was particularly made. And we need to go and be able to like justify those decisions. So there's a risk mitigation aspect there. Um, it's, it's also the question of how much do we need to know? Who do we need to explain to, right? Is it okay to explain to ourselves? Is it okay to just explain to the developers? Are the developers being able to explain to others or the model risk managers saying, this is why these kinds of decisions are being made? Should we think about explaining it into the end users? And now the question becomes like, how much talent do all the people need to have? Because everyone need to understand the metrics on how it was you know, validated in the first place. And the whole notion of algorithmic auditing concern, who's gonna be taking a look at it and figuring out whether this actually works as it was originally designed. Now, the question is, we have to make this practical and pragmatic and we should reveal things about the algorithms without revealing the IP in various places. There are all these aspects. And when you think about risk mitigation, how do we address this challenge? Is it okay to say, well, we have AI, we have our governance bodies, we also have a, a tool which explains certain aspects of the solution, may not explain everything, but we have factored in, right? So we basically kind of taken a checklist approach saying we have done this, 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 and this, so we are okay with respect to this. Uh, is that a good way of thinking about it or should we be doing more? And uh, are we still just scratching the surface of this whole AI ethics dilemma, and we need to kind of come together to a more pragmatic and approachable solution as we adopt AI into the enterprise. And we're still seeing only very few of these companies operationalizing AI, even though everybody's talking about it, very few are actually operationalizing it because of all the concerns we are discussing. So maybe Valeria, you want to start? I think we'll probably take this as a last question, and I think there are a couple of questions from the audience will take. Yeah. Okay, I will try to uh, to be brief and I will go to your point on algorithm auditors, right? And algorithm auditing. And being myself from an auditing firm, of course, obviously I'm gonna say it does make sense to have an audit and um, provide an, um, some sort of like review of the uh, um, algorithm as well. However, the dilemma comes is, um, who is going to have this knowledge on ethics and fairness 
and how they're going to de audit the processes. The concept of the audit, like we audit the financial systems, we audit the tax systems, uh, we audit the different processes, and it does make sense. With the ethics, it's going to be all new. So we will be going on the journey together and we will be making mistakes, right? And we have to learn about this mistakes. And probably the things that our organization needs to do is to actually be transparent about those mistakes and the, those roadblocks and have the conversation open. So yeah, explainable AI is about being open and being having um, a conversation and have a diversity and being able to test and fail and again, retest the system. So I'm, I'm an advocate for this, but um, however, it might be an expensive cost for all of us. So, Reid, you wanna? Yeah, so, I mean, look, there's, there's a ton to say here and we don't have nearly enough time to say it all. Um, look, one question to ask is why is explainability ethically important? Mm -hmm. um, it's not obvious to me that it always is, right? So let's say you've got a cancer diagnosing machine that's 99.9% .9 accurate, but we don't have a clue how it gets so to be so accurate. But it's been right in the last, you know, 10,000 opportunities we gave it to make predictions. Do we say, no, 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 don't use that anymore, um, even though you're saving tons of lives because it's not explainable? Um, dial down the accuracy in the sake for the sake of explainability? That's not obvious. I'm not saying that we, we ought, ought to or ought not to. I'm at least saying that's an ethical question. Um, and it's not obvious that the, the answer must always be make sure it's explainable. That's one thing to say. So, which, which means that the question then is when explainability is ethically relevant and ethically important, why is it? Um, is it, is it intrinsically ethically important or is it just important because it's a useful tool for some other stuff? So for instance, a lot of people think explainability is important because it's a useful way by which we can detect bias, which means it's instrumentally valuable. It's, it's of use, but that doesn't mean that it's, um, if you like, intrinsically ethically important. On the other hand, sometimes it is really intrinsically ethically important, like if um, you're giving a risk rating for a defendant and you're determining whether they're going to be uh, whether they deserve probation if, they, if they're found guilty, et cetera, then you might think, well, we're harming someone so that we owe them an explanation. We owe them an explanation out of respect for their personhood or their rational agency or their moral worth or something along those lines. So again, there's lots to say here about why explainability is important uh, when it is and what makes it, you know, what makes it ethically important. Um, Man, maybe I should, I have more to say, but um, we're running out of time. Um, so let me pass it off to somebody yeah. else. John, do you have any uh, last thoughts? Okay, um, I agree with Reed and uh, Valeria, and um, uh, particularly I agree with Valeria's iterative approach um, uh, to thinking about this issue. And, and I do think that explainability is also uh, not applicable in every single case, like Reed said. However, uh, I want to add, however, uh, that, um, uh, uh, that um, there, um, um, Explainability, um, um, sorry, it just escaped my mind. Um, uh, I was thinking about it when Reed was talking. Um, <laughs> um, I, can, I can blather on again if you like and look more. Because <laughs> <laughs> what you said kind of inspired this, uh, but uh, um, I think, um, you know what, given the time uh, of this, um, I will probably uh, just uh, send a response to you later, uh, Shri. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sorry that it just escaped my mind. It was, it was a good point that it's not always explainable. Yeah, I think it was really like, Reed, you put it in the point. Sometimes we 
don't have to explain the decision or it might be not the right environment to explain the decision. So how do we do about it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, it just came back. So, so the point I wanted to add was monitoring. So this is why it's uh, critically important, I think, for uh, people uh, to, uh, when you're embarked on enterprise-wide uh, AI projects, uh, when you're thinking of about setting up the ways in which you can test and monitor the models that you really critically monitor them uh, for not just the scenarios that you have defined, but also monitor your models, how it's running production uh, 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 when it comes to abnormalities and, and things that you have not defined. And, and so, so that you can catch those circumstances in which uh, you have not thought about how, how it might run. You know? So take the experimentation mindset when you're monitoring uh, what is in production and kind of know that you don't know exactly everything about how the model will run in production once you have put into place. I think when you have that mindset, you know, it might help you uh, to, to kind of um, iteratively understand um, and be able to explain your models a little bit more. Um, uh, does, does that uh, make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, these are, you know, each one of these teams, explainability, monitoring, they probably require its own session. And uh, to continue the note, uh, next week, we are gonna have uh, Dr. Agu Sugianto, who heads model risk at Wells Fargo. And his team has been building frameworks for explainable AI and they build out a package. So they're gonna be talking about, um, you know, what does it mean for interpretability and explainability from financial services perspective, especially when they're dealing with large models. So. Um, with that note, I think uh, you know we are here on you know at one o'clock. So I thank you very much for spending your lunch break with us and talking about uh, AI ethics and responsible AI in action. I think a lot of questions, a lot of uh, themes were discussed, but obviously this is an evolving and an open topic, and we have multiple perspectives, and uh, it has to be something which we have to discuss in the open before we can start crystallizing solutions which are pragmatic enough uh, to be adopted within the enterprise. Um, and uh, one of the things I'm kind of trying to see is how can we as practitioners be vocal about the challenges we face when we are operationalizing some of these you know, key themes within the enterprise, or even discuss some of the things we would like to have in terms of tooling, in terms of frameworks, in terms of concerns, that way, when we build solutions, they are, at least we have thought about the right kinds of constructs. We may not have all the solutions, but that's where the mitigations and controls come in, right? In certain ways, we can potentially put in the controls within technologies. In certain ways, we can mitigate on certain ways, and we can put in gating processes and make humans responsible for the decisions. Ultimately, it's the humans making the decisions leveraging machines rather than the other way around. We're not just delegating all our decisions to machines and letting the machines take responsibilities for those actions. We're still being responsible for those actions. With that note, I uh, would like to thank you again for uh, this amazing discussion. We will continue the discussion online and hopefully we'll consolidate some of the thoughts we've been having and put something together. Um, as a white paper or a blog or something like that. But uh, I really appreciate you spending the time. Thank you again and have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you for joining us for today's session of the Q Podcast Show. 
You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at quantuniversity.com for upcoming events, courses, and to continue the discussion.